Beloved, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and please stand with me for the reading of God's holy and inerrant and efficacious word, Matthew chapter 28. I'll begin actually in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, as we come to this familiar text, we pray, O Lord, that you would once again encourage us and teach us and correct us from it. We pray, O Lord, uh, that you would cultivate in our hearts a greater heart for evangelism and mission, and that we would recognize the great opportunity, the great need that there is all over the world and also in our own city for evangelism, for Christ, for the gospel. O Lord, fill us with your spirit. Give us ears to hear the truth of your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. When the 11 disciples received this mission mandate from Jesus, they were very small fish in an extremely large and dangerous pond. The world was not a hospitable place for Christianity, and the mission given to them by Jesus would have not only seemed risky, but impossible. Think about it. At the time of Christ's ascension here in Matthew 28, Christians were a tiny, poor, and culturally irrelevant sect. The Roman Empire, on the other hand, was vast and powerful, ruling over much of the known world with temples and statues of Greco-Roman gods dominating the landscape of every city. The Roman empire would entertain no rivals to their way of life. The same would be true of other nations beyond the borders of the Roman Empire. How could the disciples expect to make any serious headway in making Christian disciples in their own context? How would they be able to make disciples of all nations? Perhaps you've had this question knocking about in your own mind at heart at times when you see the world in which we live. From a mere human perspective, the Great Commission seems impossible against all the odds. But from heaven's perspective, from the perspective of Christ's throne, it is altogether achievable. Why? Because Jesus possesses all authority in heaven And on earth, because Jesus is the exalted Son of God who will save those 
for whom he shed his own blood on Calvary. No earthly kingdoms or corrupt cultures or enemies of the gospel can prevent Jesus from saving sinners and building his church through his appointed means of grace. The word of God and the sacraments and prayer. In Matthew 18, our Lord declared a familiar phrase, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The apostles certainly believed this, didn't they? And because they believed this, they boldly and courageously preached the gospel, as we learn from Romans 1.8, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's the story of the book of Acts, isn't it? And the apostles endured great suffering and hardship for preaching this gospel. They were attacked, they were mocked and beaten and imprisoned, and all but John were executed for their gospel witness. It's why the health and wealth gospel is is so demonic. It's so contrary to Scripture. The, The disciples themselves, Jesus himself, didn't have a health and wealth experience in relation to the gospel. They suffered. They were persecuted. And then they were killed, all but John, who was exiled to the island of Patmos. The gospel is unstoppable. God's enemies are real. They are alive. They are seeking to hinder the preaching of the gospel. But the gospel keeps spreading. And it keeps changing lives all over the world. The gospel is unstoppable because God's spirit has made it so. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Last week, our summer mission team spent the final day of our trip in Rome before flying out the next morning. We saw numerous ancient historical landmarks, but none was so moving as the the Mamertine prison in the Roman Forum. This prison was built in the 7th century B.C. And it's the very prison where the Apostle Paul was held by Emperor Nero until his execution. From this prison, Paul wrote his final letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, encouraging Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season, to endure suffering, to do the work of an evangelist, and to fulfill his ministry. We often pay close attention, do we not, to the the final words of people before they die. Sometimes they're fairly insignificant if someone is uh, incoherent, but a lot of times people People are coherent, and they're able to say a few things, perhaps on the day of their death. But here, we see Paul writing in his final letter, encouraging Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season, when it's popular, when it's not, when he feels like it and when he doesn't, to endure suffering and to do the work of an evangelist, to share this gospel, to preach this gospel to the lost, and to fulfill his ministry. The Roman Empire sought to silence the preaching of the gospel through persecution. We visited the Colosseum. Some of you have been there. 
And there Christians were fed to hungry lions as amusement for raucous crowds in Rome. Other nations have sought to stamp out the gospel as well, but rather than silence Christians, persecution and suffering emboldens them for mission. The blood of the martyrs becomes the seed of the church, and the gospel goes forth powerfully. We learn this from church histories, not least in the first few centuries of the church. Dear ones, fulfilling the Great Commission remains a great challenge everywhere in the world. Political persecution, cultural pressure, false religion, and the triumph of the self have made evangelism and mission very difficult. But in the face of these many challenges, not least our own weakness, we must hold fast to Jesus' promises that bookend the Great Commission. Did you notice them? Too often in vacation Bible schools that we grew up in or uh, memorizing the Great Commission at home, we begin with the word go rather than the word all. And here we have this wonderful promise, two promises bookending the Great Commission that Christ possesses all authority in heaven and on earth and that he will be with us always to the end of the age. When one thinks about mission, the seemingly impossibility of making disciples in foreign lands or even in our own community, it's these promises which encourage us and embolden us, fuel our zeal for mission. These leave us as well without excuse to spread the good news and to make disciples because here's the thing, it's not all up to us. Christ is building his church and we have the privilege of partnering with him in this. We are his instruments. He is building his church and he will use us by his grace to serve in this capacity. There are promises, these are promises that should fill our hearts with gratitude and again, fuel our zeal for evangelism and mission. Let's think, first of all, this morning about these promises. This is the first point, the promises of the Great Commission, or the Greatest Commission, the promises of the Greatest Commission. Look with me at verse 18. Jesus says there, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is good news. As we go forth with the gospel in our own community and to the nations, we go in the confidence that our Lord Jesus Christ possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. And it's also good news that Christ will always be with us as we seek to fulfill this great commission, this greatest commission, even to the end of the age. And before we drill down into these two promises, we need to consider how it is too often the case that we pass over, pass by God's promises and go straight to His commands, to His directives, to His imperatives. We do it all the time. It's like a, a default mode in our hearts. We just want to be told what to do. Lord, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And this is sometimes how we live our Christian lives. Just give me the to-do list. I don't need to hear the background. I don't need to hear the promises. Just tell me what to do. I'll do my best to get it done. When we approach the Christian life like this, however, we begin to view our acceptance with God and the Christian life through the lenses of good works and our performance and not the grace and power of God. 
we begin to be performance-driven rather than grace-driven. We can easily see how this can happen with the Great Commission if we are not careful. You see, without the imperative go, flowing from the indicative of Christ's redemptive work and authority, the mission, please hear this, the mission becomes more about what we do than what Christ has done and is doing through his gospel, through his means of grace. This is incredibly important for the way we think about the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not primarily about what we do for God and others how, and how we can transform the world. No, the Great Commission, clearly stated in our text, is the church going forth and making disciples in the authority and power of Christ with the steadfast presence of Christ and with the means that Christ himself has appointed for the gathering and perfect, perfecting of those for whom he shed his blood. Christ is building his church through his means, and he's doing it through us. He's doing it through his church. So let us not miss, once again, this important point that Christ makes two glorious promises to his people in the Great Commission. If these promises just weren't there, and the only thing we had were the imperatives, what kind of confidence could we have? I would argue none, because it would be all up to us. Christ says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, we confessed earlier in the Heidelberg Catechism, question, uh, answer one on page five. And you'll notice it says here, he, preser he also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. You see, God is working together all things, all things to remove the dross from our faith, to bring us to glory. He's working all things together for our good. It's a mystery. It's glorious. It's comforting. It's hard. Because this world, in this world, we have many troubles. But here we're reminded that in the work of mission and evangelism, God is working all things together to save his people, to bring his people home to glory. And so Jesus has not some authority or most authority, but all authority in heaven and on earth is his. What this means is that our crucified, risen, and exalted Lord is the sovereign king of the universe, and he does what he pleases regarding the application of redemption. Dear ones, no one can thwart Christ's plan. Christ accomplished redemption in full through his sinless life, his sacrificial and atoning death, and his hell-conquering resurrection. He accomplished our salvation in full, and now... As the exalted, ascended, risen one, by the power of his word and spirit, Jesus is applying the finished work of redemption to sinners. Sinners are receiving him by grace through faith. All authority in heaven and on earth is his. What this means is that all the armies of hell and all the kings of the earth and all presidents and prime ministers and armies and dictators in the world may rise up against Christ in order to destroy the church and her mission, but it is all in vain. 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So we know that whatever happens in this world, or whatever allegedly is happening in other worlds, as we're hearing a lot about aliens and UFOs these days in the news, my trust, my confidence is not in alleged video camera data and testimony before Congress and remains of alien creatures. My confidence is in the promises of God, which are true, which are lasting. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. And so we put our hope and our trust and our confidence, and we set our eyes upon the promises of God in the gospel. And God, through his gospel, through his son, by his spirit, is, is saving his people. And we can trust him no matter what. Through thorny trials, through persecution, through suffering, through wars and rumors of wars. Christ is using all of this for the advancement and ultimate good of his church. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. This is why Paul could be so sanguine when he was imprisoned in Rome. It's why Paul could say what he does in Philippians chapter 1, if you'd like to turn there. Philippians 1 and verses 12 through 14. A little background. Paul would have heard from the church in Philippi their concern about him. What is going to happen to the church? What is going to happen to our leader, the apostle Paul? What is going to happen to us in the future with all of this persecution breaking out? And Paul, who is, by his own words, in chains, says this in Philippians 1, 12-14, quote, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so what happens as Paul, who's threatening the Roman Empire, is imprisoned. He says the imperial guard is being evangelized. There is a part of society right in the center of the most powerful empire of the world where Paul is evangelizing. And we know uh, from other reports that there are officials and important people uh, higher up in the Roman social sphere that are being converted and of course, we know later that Constantine was converted and the Roman Empire became Christian. And then also we have not only the evangelization of the imperial guard, but the emboldening of believers. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he is building his church, and, and, and he's doing so through his powerful Word and his holy and the Holy Spirit and his amazing and mysterious providence. And dear ones, this is the confidence that we go forward with as a congregation, not confidence in ourselves, 
not confidence in our own power or our own wisdom or our own abilities to uh, do apologetics or to, uh, to uh, share with someone uh, about some aspect of society or philosophy or theology. Our confidence is in the Lord, His authority, His power, His word, His wisdom, and His means of grace. This doesn't mean that we don't want to be studying and being prepared and to, to have an answer for people. We, we always want to be growing in that and learning how to respond. The Lord uses that. But ultimately, we know Christ is building his church. And so when we respond to the Great Commission, we go, not in our own strength, not in our own authority, but in the strength and authority of Christ. Only with the authority and power of Christ can the spiritually dead be raised to life and the elect be gathered from the nations. Dear ones, who but Christ can accomplish this, this mission? I mean, do you read the Great Commission and think, oh yeah, I can do that? I highly doubt it. Who but Christ can accomplish this mission? Who but Christ, who possesses all authority, can accomplish this mission through such weak and foolish means and such weak and foolish people? Beloved, what a wonderful and encouraging promise to remember as we go forth in, in greater ways into all the world to make disciples. Well, last week, many of you were praying for us as we took a short-term mission trip to Lecce, Italy. Uh, the small church plant in Lecce, led by Pastor Vincenzo Coluccia, uh, along with his wife, Judith, and their children, Samuel uh, and Abigail, this is the only Reformed and Presbyterian witness in all of southern Italy. Let that sink in for a minute. In the southern half of Italy, it's the only Reformed and Presbyterian witness. There are over 60 million people in Italy, and less than 1% are evangelicals. Less than 1% who are embracing that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone and not by good works. Very few in Lecce, a city of 100,000 people, would know or understand the true gospel. So it goes without saying, there's a great need for carrying out the Great Commission in Lecce and in all of Italy and even all of Europe. It was a blessing to see children and families streaming in for the church's very first vacation Bible school. Most of the children uh, who uh, were there were from unchurched homes. During the VBS, we sang gospel songs. Uh, we memorized John 3.16 and Romans 3.23 in English and in Italian. Please do not ask me uh, to recite that to you in Italian after the service. I will disappoint you. We did gospel-focused crafts. Most importantly, the gospel was clearly explained through times of instruction. The children were noticeably gripped by the gospel as we taught it to them and explained it to them, some of them hearing it for the very first time. There were two children, uh, brother and sister, twins, in fact, named Maro and Desiree. And they were from an unchurched home, and they were around 10 or 11 years old. They loved the VBS so much that they asked their mom 
they were planning on going on vacation that night. We had VBS on Friday and Saturday, and they begged their mom for them to be able to come back the next day to VBS and to delay their vacation. And the mom said, okay. We were so happy to see them the next day, and we praised the Lord uh, for that. Uh, we saw many children coming to the VBS and happy, their parents so happy and encouraged uh, that they were there. We are praying that the seeds planted will bear the fruit of salvation. Next door to the church is a restaurant uh, owned by a man named Francesco. Uh, Francesco is an extraordinary guy. Uh, he used to be uh, an attorney. Uh, then he owned a farm with lots of animals, and now he runs a restaurant in Lecce, Italy. He has tattoos all over his body. Uh, he is a very smart man. He speaks impeccable English, uh, and he knows a lot about philosophy and religion and theology. Uh, he actually um, was in the church as a boy, had a terrible experience with the priests, and now rejects all organized religion. But he loves to talk. He loves uh, to share. And he catered a couple of our meals uh, on one evening serving uh, zebra and horse uh, and, um, and uh, uh, kangaroo. Uh, so if you ever want a kangaroo burger uh, or a horse burger, just come to Italy. At times, while we shared with him for about an hour, uh, Toby was in on that conversation as well as a couple of others from uh, uh, Finland and uh, Italy. Uh, he was visibly touched by the gospel. Um, we had a lot of laughs. We talked about philosophy, religion, theology, the church. Uh, at one point, he was giving uh, a complete uh, uh, sort of defense of rejecting all organized uh, religion. And I then asked him, I said, uh, so you're, you are a father. I remember you talking about your son affectionately earlier. He said, yes, I am. I said, um, do you uh, protect your son? He said, yes, I do. I said, do you give instruction to your son? Oh, sure. I said, do you warn your son? Oh, yes, sure, I do that, yes. And I said, uh, uh, do you think that all fathers should watch over their, their sons and their daughters? And he said, uh, yes. And he goes, oh, oh. I said, yes, this is why the Lord has given us the church. Because the father looks over his children and watches over them in the context of a healthy biblical church where we love one another and encourage one another and keep one another accountable. But Francesco, uh, this, this man who is clearly touched and is right next door to the church, we're praying for him. And apparently one of the cooks there, which Vincenzo has engaged, and he is very interested uh, in the gospel. Uh, and so pray for these, these individuals. Uh, there was a women's fellowship uh, on uh, the Monday, and Marla and Jenny and Rachel shared their testimonies, and they shared devotionals from Scripture. There were both Christians and non-Christians present. And the non-Christians that were present, um, I heard reports, were visibly moved to tears uh, from uh, the testimonies of God's faithfulness. One of the testimonies that was told from some of the uh, older ladies, I won't say how old they are because, you know, 
Um, they were older and more mature. And they shared that for many, many, many years, there was a lady in Lecce, a single woman, who kept sharing the gospel over and over and over and over again with people in the community. And many in the community thought she was crazy. And it was Vincenzo's mother who, by the grace of God, believed this gospel after many years of hearing her believe this gospel. And then one by one, various family members in Vincenzo's family were converted. Uh, and uh, most of them are in the church there in, in Lecce. Extraordinary. Um, uh, we had a Friday night outreach event uh, where I gave a lecture on technology and the family in a public venue. And, and uh, from that, uh, launched into a gospel message um, we had many good conversations with folks after that uh, lecture and praying that the seeds of the gospel will bear forth much fruit. So as we think about our mission to Lecce and many gospel opportunities given to us, it's not our own gifts and wisdom and words that we ultimately put our trust in, but rather the fact that Christ has all authority, that he's using this, this word which has the power of God unto salvation. Remember what Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. We are trusting in Christ's authority, in his powerful word. We are trusting that he is saving sinner and building his church through this word. The other promise that bookends the Great Commission is in verse 20. You see it there at the end? It's Christ saying, I will be with you. Until the end of the age. See, Christ is not a, a cold and a distant and aloof king. He is not giving orders and staying behind. He is with us. He is going before us. He is conquering hearts as he rides the chariot of his gospel. He is conquering hearts. This is a great comfort, is it not? As we see, again, major obstacles and difficulties in connection with the Great Commission. But Christ is with us to the end. His presence is always with us as we are evangelizing, as we are going in mission, as we are reaching out to our neighbors, as we are planting churches, as we are making disciples, as we are sending out missionaries to foreign lands, as we are engaging a friend at a park, as we are connecting with someone at an event at the school, as we are speaking with someone on the soccer field who doesn't know Christ. We know that Christ is with us, and that all authority in heaven and on earth is his, and his word is powerful. Christ is with us. We are not alone. But dear ones, it's not only the promises we have, we also have the commands, and this is the second point, the commands of the greatest commission. You see the first one there, it's the word go. Go. This is not a suggestion. It's a command. We are commanded to go. Mission inertia is one of the biggest problems for Christians. One of the biggest manifestations of disobedience in the church today, mission inertia. We are too often stagnant and motionless when it comes to the Great Commission. We read the word go from the lips of our Lord, but we stay. We stay in our comfort zones, not wanting to risk an awkward conversation or a rejection of what we hold so dear. Rather than go into our neighborhoods and communities and nations, we stay right where we are. By doing so, we are being disobedient to the Great Commission. This is not 
a word uh, that's often said, you know, everybody's a missionary, that we all do this in the same capacity, in the same level, in the same measure. No, I'm not saying that at all. But there must be a sense in which every single believer has a heart for the lost and is ready and willing to share, to invite, to engage, to be salt and light. This is the calling on every Christian believer, is it not? By not doing this, we are being disobedient to the greatest commission ever given. By not going, we are forfeiting the joy of sharing the good news with others. Dear ones, we are called to go, to move forward, to progress into the lives of others and and near us and far from us with the announcement that God loves sinners so much that he sent his son to die for them and to rise again. We are called to go. The second command we see here is to make disciples. The great commission, uh, rather the greatest commission ever given, is not a mandate to transform the culture, to moralize the culture, or to establish Christian coffee shops, or to eradicate poverty in the world. There are Christians who may want to work towards those things and in those things, but that's not the great commission. The commission is to make disciples. We don't add to the Great Commission. We don't take away from it. It's to make disciples, to make faithful and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1.28, the Apostle Paul said, we, our task is to make mature disciples. This making of disciples begins in our own homes and churches and moves outward to our neighbors and to the nations. We disciple our covenant children. We disciple our congregation at Christ Church, but we don't stop here. We are called to make disciples of what? All nations. Of all nations. The gospel is for all peoples everywhere. This has always been God's plan. Look with me at Psalm 67, if you have your Bibles. Psalm 67. Ruling Elder Ron Jacobs read this earlier in our service. But we see here that God's plan has always been for the nations, not just for Israel, the nation of Israel. Psalm 67, verse 1, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Beloved, this must be the heartbeat of Christ's church. This must be our heartbeat, that as God has been so gracious to us and His face is shining upon us in Christ, that because of that, we are motivated to share this gospel, that His way would be known on the earth, His saving power, His gospel power among all the nations. Notice the emphasis on all the peoples, all the nations. 
that they would be glad and sing for joy, even as we are glad and singing for joy. I will often think when I'm uh, around uh, individuals here locally and also overseas about families and children who have no hope in this world. For some, their only hope is that the next purchase will bring them the joy and satisfaction they're longing for. I had the most extraordinary experience in Rome. I walked into a shoe store where all the shoes were behind plastic containers. And they ranged from three to $13,000 a pair. Excuse me? A $13,000 pair of shoes? Why, yes, you can buy them in Rome and I'm sure other places. For some, this is a kind of triumph, a kind of joy. All of these things, all of this worldliness, all the next thing to purchase, the next, the next boat, the next house, the next thing, all of it, people are searching in vain for happiness in. God made us for himself. People are groping around in the darkness, and we have the light. We have the truth. We have the gospel to share with them, to give to them. I would argue that it is the mark of a Christian that, at least in some measure, they have a heart for the lost, that they care about the lost and wanted to see them come to know Christ. We are called to go. We are called to make disciples and we are called to baptize. Now, of course, this command isn't for every Christian. It's for the lawfully ordained minister of the word. We baptize uh, children of believers and adult converts as a sign and seal of God's gospel promises, as a means of discipleship and as a sign of initiation into the visible church. We baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Again, the sacraments are part of Christian discipleship. And then we teach. Christ says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you in verse 20. We teach the word of God. And of course, the word of Christ is the word of God. The greatest commission commands the church to proclaim the gospel from all of Scripture. This is what we see in a faithful expository preaching and teaching ministry. It's what the Apostle Paul was referring to in Acts 20 when he said to the Ephesian elders, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And so we go, we, dis- we make disciples, we baptize, we, we teach The Great Commission, of course, is given primarily to the apostles and to the ordained leadership, but there are secondary and tertiary applications that apply to every Christian in this room. You are not called, uh, most of you are not called, uh, at least that we know right now, to an expository preaching ministry and to ordained ministry and baptizing people, but we are all called to be salt and light. We are all called uh, to pray. We are all called to uh, give a hope. Give a response of the hope that's within us to share this gospel. It applies to every believer to participate in the spreading of the gospel and the making of disciples. This brings us to our final point, the practical ways to obey the Great Commission. 
perhaps you're thinking, what are some very practical ways for me to obey the Great Commission as, as a layperson? First thing is to pray. Make this a part of your prayer life. Pray regularly. Pray daily for lost friends, lost neighbors, lost family members. Make that a part of your prayer life. You will cultivate a heart for missions. You'll be more, more ready to engage with them when you've had them on your heart in prayer. Pray for our missionaries and for those they are trying to reach. Pray for our church to grow in passion for outreach. Pray that we would cultivate a bigger heart for the nations to know Christ. Pray that God would raise up missionaries from right here among us. Uh, pray that God would foster a true compassion for those who are walking in darkness. Beloved, obeying the Great Commission begins, continues, and ends with prayer. Secondly, in addition to praying, give. When opportunities arise to support the work of world mission, make it a priority to give. As a congregation, we support several missionary church planters from around the world. This giving can go up at any time with special gifts. We've had most of our missionaries uh, in our pulpit preaching. You've gotten to know them. In fact, I think all of them have been in our pulpit preaching. These are gifted and called men. There are always opportunities to, to support the work of the gospel through our giving. And then finally, go. Go. Beloved, don't be resigned to be a stagnant and motionless Christian when it comes to evangelism and missions. Don't settle for outreach inertia. Think of ways that you can connect with unbelievers, share the gospel, invite them to church, invite them into your home. Be a Christian who daily goes with the gospel. Live a life of outreach, engaging unbelievers and the unchurched with the gospel. Invite friends, coworkers, and neighbors to church. Be salt and light. Give a response to the hope that's within you. Doing it all, not with a confidence in yourself, but in the Lord. For all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and he's with you. Remember Jesus' words to Paul in Corinth in the book of Acts. Paul, do not be silent. For I have many people in this city. During our time in Lecce, we were blessed to meet and serve with believers from around the world. There was a couple from Finland, Eric and Christina, who moved to Milan and were working with the church there with Mike Brown and now have moved down to assist the church in Lecce. They're a young married couple with a baby on the way from Finland. And then there was a couple from Hungary that flew over to help out. Vincenzo's wife is, is Hungarian. And, and so this young couple from Hungary came over to Lecce to help serve in the VBS, to translate. Benza and Kinga were their names. There's also a family from Brazil. It was a tiny taste of heaven and a reminder of the aim and the goal of mission that we find in Revelation 7, 9 through 12. Where John writes, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, 
clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Beloved Christ Church, our Lord has all authority. He is with us to the end. He is saving those for whom he died through the gospel message that we proclaim. So let us go. Let us make disciples through the means of grace. And may our hearts pulsate for the glory of God and the salvation of all peoples. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the great commission, the greatest commission. And we pray, O oh God, that as a church, we would not become stagnant. As individuals, that we would not have outreach inertia, but that we would only grow in our passion to reach the lost, the very lost for whom Christ came to this earth to die and to rise for. Oh Lord, give us your heart for the nations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, beloved, I ask you to please uh, turn in your hymnals uh, 